Awaken podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hey there, friends. Welcome to Awaken. Hope that you are well. We are going to begin this morning with something uh, a little different than normal. And our good friend Mandy, who is our kids' community director, uh, wants to have a little chat with the kids. So, you know, imagine back in the day when uh, during, during the service, the, the pastor would do like a children's sermon, but this is going to be way better because Mandy's doing it and I'm not. So um, without any further ado, friends, our kids' community director, Mandy Taylor. Wow, thanks for that intro, Micah. Hello, kids and adults, of course. Like Micah said, I'm Mandy. I'm in in charge of the kids community. And while I am greatly missing our time together, I will say that we just finished up our final week of fun and fitness. That was led by Art Morrow and Rachel Autumn. It was an awesome way to get to see each other, to be outside. And for those of you who participated, I am so impressed. We have some great runners in our kids' community. So way to go on that. And a huge thank you to um, the adults that helped, Art and Rachel, and led that. If there are any other adults who are wanting to lead something fun for kids outside, there are lots of options. We can do a lot outside. If you want to lead something, I would be very happy to facilitate. Email me and we'll, we'll figure that out. Kids, we have had a few months of really new and also really hard experiences, and I've really missed getting to walk through those with both you and your parents and the volunteers here at Awaken. As I've written the kids' resource each week that accompanies the podcast, I'm constantly reminded of the beauty that happens when we're actually here together and when we get to have conversations around the topics and the situations that are happening. So I have really missed that. And as I always say, the kids here at Awaken teach us just as much as we try to teach them. So kids, your perspective is appreciated and at the time when we don't get to be together, it's really missed. But I am betting that your parents are getting to hear from you and learn from you and I am praying each week that those conversations are rich and meaningful for both you and your family members, maybe friends, neighbors, whoever you are doing church with each week at your house or outside. So before Micah dives into our teaching today, which is about justice, I want to talk to our kids who are listening. Usually when teaching kids, there's a lot of space for conversation and questions, and it's very relational back and forth. So that's really tricky to do in this situation. I highly recommend parents who are watching with your kids or listening, go ahead and pause when you need to. When your kids want to answer or talk about something, pause the podcast or video and have those conversations. They are so important. So to start, what is justice? Or another way to ask it is, what does it mean to be just? To help you answer this question, think of some words that come to mind when you hear the word justice. So some words that I think of when I hear justice are being fair, respect, equal, equality or equity, balance, honest, integrity, being even, of course, love. Maybe you thought of some more. What is the opposite of justice? Yeah, injustice. 
unfairness, unequal. Sometimes it helps us understand a word better if we also know the opposite of the word. So the words fair and unfair are the most common to describe justice and injustice, especially with kids. Fairness and unfairness is based on how we feel about something or how we see something. So here's a simple example of fair versus unfair. If you got 10 pieces of candy and your sibling, your brother, your sister, or your friend got five pieces of candy, would that be fair? You might think it's fair because you're older or you might think it's fair because you're nicer or you might realize that it's not fair. Your brother or sister or friend might think it's unfair because they're older or because they're nicer or maybe they do think it's fair because they truly think you're nicer or older or bigger and you deserve more. Fairness and unfairness in this situation helps us to understand the word perspective. You each have a different perspective based on what you have or what you don't have, who you are or who you aren't, where you live or where you don't live, what you can do well or what you can't do well. Your siblings or friend who got less candy than you might see things differently than you. Perspective plays a big part in how people view justice or injustice. This is why it's so very important to know God's hope for us and the justice that he calls us to be a part of here on this earth. So let's think about justice as God sees it. The Bible tells us that we are created in his image. We, each one of us, not just you, not just me, but we are all created in God's image. God loves each one of us and created us to be treated as he wants to be treated, with respect and love and honor and fairness, all those words that we describe to use justice. So how should we be treating our neighbors, friends, family, and all people? Of course God would want us to treat others with respect, kindness, fairness, and love. That's simple, right? The Bible tells us over and over in various places that our God is just, that he loves justice. Would our God be just if he decided that some of us were better than others? Now, why is it important that we know what justice is? Well, we follow Jesus and Jesus' followers are called to do justice. Now that we have a better idea of what justice actually is, what does it mean to do justice? I bet many of you got this right. It means to take action and think about what is best for everyone, not just you. Care for those who are vulnerable and in hard situations. Make right that which is wrong. This week, I want you to really think about what it means to do justice. Maybe even you want to create a picture or a poem or a story about doing justice. Maybe you can even think of a way to do justice at home or in your neighborhood this week. If you do think of something or if you create something, we would love to see that. The staff would love to see it. Send it on. To end, I have a book that I would like to read to all of you. Now, this has become one of my favorite books which is kind of funny because it is a board book, and board books are usually meant for two-year-olds. But this book, I would say, 
is great for two-year-olds all the way to 92-year-olds. I think you're really going to love it. This book is called God's Dream, and it's written by Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Douglas Carlton Abrams, illustrated by Luane Pham. As I read this book, I want you to take some deep breaths. I want you to be really mindful of the questions and the words that are being said. Really think about these things. Dear child of God, what do you dream about in your loveliest of dreams? Do you dream about flying high or rainbows reaching across the sky? Do you dream about being free to do what your heart desires? or about being treated like a full person no matter how young you might be? Do you know what God dreams about? If you close your eyes and look with your heart, I am sure, dear child, that you will find out. God dreams about people sharing. God dreams about people caring. God dreams that we reach out and hold one another's hands and play one another's games and laugh with one another's hearts. But God does not force us to be friends or to love one another. Dear child of God, it does happen that we get angry and hurt one another. Soon we start to feel sad and so very alone. Sometimes we cry and God cries with us. But when we say we're sorry and forgive one another, we wipe away our tears and God's tears too. Each of us carries a piece of God, of God's heart within us. And when we love one another, the pieces of God's heart are made whole. God dreams that every one of us will see that we are all brothers and sisters. Yes, even you and me even if we have different mommies and daddies or live in different faraway lands. Even if we speak different languages or have different ways of talking to God. Even if we have different eyes or different skin. Even if you are taller and I am smaller. Even if your nose is little and mine is large. Dear child of God, do you know how to make God's dream come true? It is really quite easy as easy as sharing, loving, caring, as easy as holding, playing, laughing, as easy as knowing we are family because we are all God's children. Will you help God's dream come true? Let me tell you a secret. God smiles like a rainbow when you do. so much Mandy that was wonderful um, now let's sing the song of blessing over those kids that were just learning about justice sing this with me and may God give you eyes to see
way, friends, uh, welcome to you wherever you are and however you're taking this in by video or by audio. I hope that you are well. It's nice to be seen. I wish that I could see you and say nice to see you, but um, we're going to continue in our series called Lost in Translation this morning, and we typically find a Bible verse that's bizarre, hard to understand, hard to interpret, uh, hard to believe that it's in the Bible sometimes, and we try to make sense of those passages, and this morning... We're gonna do something a little bit different. Instead of taking a passage that's hard to understand, I'm gonna actually take an idea that I think is sort of lost in translation uh, or is, is maybe misunderstood or not fully understood insofar as what the Bible is offering on this idea, and that idea is the idea of justice. Um, so we're gonna look at Psalm 146, and that's gonna be our entry point into the conversation, uh, a conversation that I hope doesn't end with me, but begins here and then continues on in your life group or in your family or around your table with friends. So I'm gonna read Psalm 146, and I'm actually gonna read from the New King James because the NIV really doesn't do justice, no pun intended, to the interpretation or at least the point I'm trying to make. Um, and so uh, we'll read it from the New King James, which isn't terribly different, but it does have the word I'm looking for. So here we go, Psalm 146, if you can stand, says this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. While I live, I will praise the Lord. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth. In that very day, his plans perish. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help whose hope is in the Lord is God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps truth forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord gives freedom to the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the strangers and he relieves the fatherless and the widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. The Lord shall reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, Praise the Lord. Pray with me. God, this morning, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, I pray that you would make it alive and fresh, a word for us today, uh, something that challenges us and encourages us to be more and more the people that you've called us and invited us to be as those who follow Jesus. So may it be true, I pray, uh, in the strong name of Christ and by the power of the Spirit, and all God's people said together, amen. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We the people, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility. Provide for the common defense Promote the general welfare And then secure the blessings of liberty For ourselves and our posterity Do ordain and establish this constitution For the United States of America <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love it I walked into this, the church and I like sounded off the Pledge of Allegiance and then Dan started playing that song and I was like, that has to be in the sermon today. So Dan, thank you for that. <laughs> oh my gosh. 
I am refraining from all kinds of uh, jokes and um, experiences that I've had on 4th of July weekend in the churches that I have served. I will just share one with you. I preached on 4th of July weekend, as you know, the youth pastor always does, or I think at this point I was one of the associate pastors, but either way, I preached on July 4th weekend and somebody had written a comment on the comment cards, but of course they didn't leave their name, they just said, where was the American flag on the stage, question mark? Tell Micah to get a haircut. He looks terrible. <laughs> oh my gosh, that is not a joke. I am not exaggerating one bit. I actually kept that card in my office and stuck it on my placard because like you can't make that kind of stuff up. Like only in the church would somebody write that. Oh my gosh, the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, a little bit of history on the Pledge of Allegiance, by the way. It was written in 1892 by a guy named Francis Bellamy. Little did you know, he was a socialist minister. That's a fascinating fact. Maybe you did know that, I don't know. Um, it was originally published in the Youth's Companion in September of 1892, and Bellamy had hoped that this would be a pledge that would be used for any number of people for any number of countries. In its original form, it read, I pledge allegiance to my flag, and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. In 1923, the words, the United States of America, was added to the pledge, and then in 1954, amidst communist scares uh, in America, President Eisenhower encouraged Congress to add the words, under God, which Bellamy's daughter, by the way, objected to. Um, so it now reads, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. The flag of the United States of America is a symbol and it represents an idea. The idea that this country, one of the ideas that this country was founded on, that all humans are created equal and are due certain inalienable rights, among them being justice, a rule of law which would be executed and applied equally regardless of race, gender, class, or creed. The right to life, the right to liberty, that, that, that this idea that uh, you know, you're free within your state, within your society, without the government's imposition of its ideas to pursue a particular religion or a, a way of living so long as it doesn't harm someone else. You're, you're, you have the liberty to do so. Uh, the right to pursue happiness for you and your family and those around you. So on this July 4th weekend, in my inaugural Independence Day sermon, I'd like to ask a question. And the question is, how are we doing? Like the Pledge of Allegiance, it's a pledge. It's I pledge allegiance, I stand behind, I support, I endorse, I'm with that idea. I pledge my allegiance to the flag, the symbol of the United States, which was founded on these ideas that it is uh, one nation um, under God that is indivisible, which we could just stop right there and ask like, is it, are we divided? But actually we're not, we're gonna spend more time on the latter. It's indivisible and, and it promises these things, liberty and justice for all. So my question, with specific um, noticing or um, emphasis, <laughs> with, with specific emphasis on justice for all, how are we doing? You hear justice all the time these days on the news. Justice for George, justice for Brianna, justice for Ahmad, justice for any number of causes or things. How is that going? Like, are we there? Are we nailing it? Who's missing? What's missing? 
How are we doing on this idea and the promise of it to the citizens of this great democracy that we live in called America? So here's what I want to do today. I want to start with an assumption, a couple of assumptions that, that, that are what the Bible has to say about justice is of interest to us. So that's my assumption. And then secondly, that what the Bible invites us to regarding justice applies to anyone and everyone who follows Jesus. So those are assumptions I begin with. But here's what I want to do today. I want to first track the idea of justice in the Bible. And then I want to sort of hold it up against what I think most people talk about or mean when they talk about justice in our day, in an hour age. I'm assuming that I can speak for the masses on this one. I recognize maybe you disagree with me on that, but either way, justice in the Bible, how it differs from how we typically talk about it, and then coming back to the Pledge of Allegiance. How are we doing with justice for all? So justice in the Bible, a basis and an invitation. Uh, and here I'm borrowing from a group of people, a friend of mine named Tim Mackey uh, out in Portland, Oregon, started a, a company or a project called The Bible Project. If you are not familiar with The Bible Project and you love the Bible or you're interested in the Bible, highly recommend it. Tim is insanely good, so smart, and um, just, I've watched this video they've done on justice about six times and every time it's, it gets better and better. So I'm borrowing some of this material from them. Um, in the scriptures, humans are made in the image of the divine. By that, we mean that humans are set apart from the animal kingdom or the plants or the rocks or any other part of creation. Uh, in a unique and profound way, God, the divine, endows, in, endows imbues, like imparts God's, God's-ness, God's like being or image into humanity. And so we reflect or bear the image of the divine. Uh, this is why, like, when a praying mantis eats its mate or a panda gives up one of its young to care for another or the honey badger goes postal on another animal, we don't bat or blink an eye. This is totally normal behavior in the animal world because they are not set apart in the way that humans are set apart. They don't bear the image of God in the way that humans do bear the image of God. If humans did any of those things, we would say that is unfair, that is wrong, or that is unjust. So insofar as every human bears the image of God, every human deserves to be treated with dignity, honor, respect, or justness, justice, to, to, to be treated um, with fairness. And here's the key, as God defines it. So what is just, what is fair, what is right, what is good? Every human bears the image of God and then deserves to be treated with dignity, fairness, respect, honor, rightness, insofar or, or as God sees it and defines it. So God determines the parameters of what is good and evil, what's right and wrong. And because I bear the image of God and you bear the image of God, you deserve what's due you is respect, dignity, honor, fairness, justice, as God defines it. And what's due to me is fairness, respect, dignity, honor, justice, as God defines it. Of course, the story of the scriptures tells the story of the first humans and then all the humans after who redefine what's good and evil, who redefine what's right and wrong to my advantage and your disadvantage. This is the story of humanity. When we do this, when I do this as an individual, when we do this as a community or as a family or as a society or culture or a nation, we participate in unjust behaviors, beliefs, or actions. Now, as we all know, the weaker someone is, the easier it is to exploit them. 
The weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them or to create privilege or advantage for me and disadvantage or cost or expense to them. This is why in the Bible, there is so much, the, the prophets rant and rail on Israel to take care of the, the widow, the, the orphan, the alien, the stranger, the child among them. Why? Because they occupy the, the weaker position. And, and, and insofar as they do, they're easier to exploit. And so God's people is not only not to exploit them, but to look out for them and to care for them. And that that is part of justice. Todd Spitzer, who's a rabbi out in Newton, Massachusetts, writes, in this context, justice meant observing the rules of the covenant. He's speaking about Israel. Only some of which could be enforced by law. And when the biblical prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Amos, express God's anger at the people for doing injustice, the failure to uphold these laws concerning the poor and the vulnerable are often at the core of their critique. So this is the basis for these these words that Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarah, and their offspring get invited into in Genesis chapter 12 when God says, do these things and you will be a blessing. Insofar as you do these two things, justice and righteousness, you will be a blessing. This gets repeated in Genesis 18 quite clearly when God says, for I have known him, Abraham, in order that he may command his children and household after him, after him that they will keep the way of the Lord. How will they do this? By doing righteousness and justice. So this is the basis for justice in the Bible. And it's out of this mess called humanity where we, where I, create or participate in advantage or privilege for myself at cost or expense to another that God calls Abraham and Sarah and their offspring out of that to do what? Righteousness and justice. Two words that get used over and over again, often connected. It was in, both were in our passage in Psalm 146. Both are in Genesis 18. They're all over the Bible. Mishpat and Sedekah. So let's, let's look at them. Mishpat is translated justice or judgment. It means judgment, the act of deciding a court or a seat of judgment, the process, procedure, litigation before judges. It's the execution of judgment. So it has to do with like law, court, and justice as we might define it or might, we might understand it typically. But then sedekah has to do with relationships. It has to do with being just or being righteous, to have a just cause, to be in the right to be justified, to be just, to be righteous, to be made or put right. So these two words, they make up the understanding in the Jewish worldview of justice, which has to do with both the legal context in which someone is pronounced just or guilty or innocent, but also the relational context in which equality and equity and fairness between image bearers of God is present. And when it's not present, God's people are invited to work for and to do justice and righteousness. And this is all over the Bible. Proverbs 31, bring about just righteousness. Open your mouth for those who cannot speak for themselves. Jeremiah 22, thus says the Lord, bring about justice and righteousness. Mishpat and Sedekah. Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. Amos chapter 2, for three sins of Israel, even four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver, they take advantage of them, and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and the, as dust on the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. So now we're filling in the idea, right? This is what the Bible means when it talks about justice. It's not just the law, court thing, like you're just or you're innocent or you're guilty, but it's 
relationally, it's equity, it's when it doesn't exist, we work for it. When someone is disadvantaged and someone is advantaged, we work to level the playing field, as it were. So now I wanna begin shifting gears, right? We've, we have a sense of what the Bible's talking about when it speaks of justice, but now I wanna sort of contrast it with what we often think about or what we mean when we say justice in a 21st century. And here's where two words are helpful, retributive justice and restorative justice. Rabbi Stephen Schwarzschild, great name, argues Western understandings of justice are primarily retributive justice. That is like tit for tat. You get what you pay for. You did the crime, you do the time. I was literally just having a conversation this week. Someone was talking about Just Mercy, the movie with uh, Jamie Foxx, this guy who's wrongfully accused on death row, proven innocent in the end. Sorry, didn't mean to spoil the movie. And someone who was talking to this person that I was having the conversation with basically said, I mean, if you're not doing anything illegal, you're not going to get in trouble and the cops will leave you alone. Which is to say, if, you, if the cops are bothering you, you probably should be, not be doing something illegal. I mean, we could talk a long time about that, but that is a, 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 a retributive justice understanding or a retributive understanding of justice. Like you get what you pay for. If you're not doing anything illegal, the cops will leave you alone. And if you are doing something illegal, then you get what you deserve. Except when, so this is retributive justice. It's unbiased and it's executed without favor or discrepancy. And I would argue that most people, when we talk about justice in the 21st century in America, that's what we're talking about. So when you see signs that say like justice for George, justice for Ahmad, justice for for, uh, uh, Brianna or or any number of people, unless someone is being informed by the biblical worldview or a Jewish understanding of justice, which goes deeper than that, on the surface level, what they mean is the people, the, the cops in this case, who killed George Floyd should do the time in prison for the crime that they committed. And that's justice. Schwarzschild goes on and says, in contrast, Jewish justice is a substantive vision of what human life should be. The substantive view of justice is concerned with the full enhancement of human and, above all, social life. Thus, it suffuses all human relations and social institutions. Another rabbi says this, justice according to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs is central to Judaism because it's impartial. The law, as envisaged by Torah, makes no distinction between rich and poor, powerful and powerless, homeborn or stranger. Equality before the law is is the translation into human terms of equality before God. So time and time again, Torah insists that justice is not just a human artifact. Fear no one, for judgment belongs to God, because it belongs to God and it must never be compromised. And then he says, by fear, bribery, or favoritism. It is an escapable duty and inalienable right, justice. So justice then is giving someone and or working for what is due them as a human being, an image bearer of the divine, regardless of position, class, gender, orientation. It's not just juridical proper standing for crimes committed or proper sentencing for crimes committed, but it's equality within the systems and the governments and the processes and the politics that exist in the network of relationships between all human beings. Why? Because all human beings bear the image of the divine. 
So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and are a part of the people of God, it seems clear to me that our worship and our devotion is most properly expressed and most appreciated by God when we are doing justice and righteousness. This was Abe's original invitation, Abraham. The prophet Micah sums it up quite nicely. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So let's see if we can land this plane. Back to the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. How are we doing with justice for all? This flag, this allegiance, this pledge to this flag, which is a symbol of this idea that justice for all. A little bit of history. Of course, we know some of this. But from the moment our ancestors stepped foot on this land, we have taken by force, also known as stealing, what did not belong to us, but in fact was being faithfully stewarded by the native and indigenous peoples who, lived, who, who were here long before white Christians ever got here. We then, not long after that, by the way, we, we can't go forward until we are okay saying that out loud. Like Mark Charles, uh, who was running for president, wrote a book called Unsettling Truth, talks about we can't heal and move forward until we have a common memory of the past. And until white people like me are willing to say, we stole indigenous land, the land we are on right now, the land I am on is Dakota land. Unless, I'm, unless we are willing to say that, repent of that, there can be no justice. So not long after that, we kidnapped, oppressed, and exiled Africans from their homeland, enslaved them, and forced them to labor on our behalf, which we reap the benefits of. Until we're willing to say that out loud and repent of that, there can be no justice. Liberty and justice for all didn't apply to women until 1919. And it didn't apply to, to blacks and, and native people until 1964, fully in, the, in the, the voting act of the civil rights. Blacks were considered three-fifths of a person in our constitution, and na natives were, 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 were deemed merciless savages in the constitution. So we all know that, right? What about a little, little bit of history that's a little obscure? Uh, According to the Supreme Court of the United States, um, justice for all didn't apply to blacks living under Jim Crow from 1896 to 1954 until Brown versus the Board of Education. And then even after that in the South, there were uh, states who made, uh, were hell-bent on, on passing more legislation to keep Jim Crow in, in act or, or, or enabled. Liberty and justice for all from the 1930s to the 1960s applied really only to whites and not blacks as it relates to home ownership in the United States, which, by the way, is the single most contributing factor or the, the, the contributing factor that matters the most as it relates to generational wealth. Home ownership. A few examples. Redlining was enacted by the Federal Housing Administration, which is essentially determining which neighborhoods were safe for federally backed mortgages which sent white people to the suburbs and left mostly people of color in the cities or in, uh, uh, in the inner cities. 
um, racial covenants after World War II and the housing boom after World War II, which restricted many of the home deeds to these housing developments that were being built to whites only. In 1948, 40% of new housing in Minneapolis, Minnesota was determined for whites only. The GI Bill, which helped millions of Americans purchase their first homes after serving in the military, was distributed mostly along racial lines. Here's a few examples. In New York and New Jersey, 67,000 loans were, uh, were given, and only 100 of them were given to people of color, African-American servant, uh, uh, um, veterans. Mississippi is even worse. In 1947, 3,200 loans for veterans in the GI Bill in Mississippi Take a wild guess as to how many were given to black servicemen. Two. Um, we could go on and on and on and on. The war on drugs in the 80s, right? We back Nicaraguan web webbles. We back Nicaraguan, <laughs> that's hard to say, unique New York. We back Nicaraguan rebels, Contra rebels, who are fighting communists by giving them weapons funded by cocaine imported by the U.S. government, cocaine which became crack in black communities, which we then declared a war on and incarcerated people disproportionately. So if you got caught with an ounce of, this isn't funny, if you got caught with an ounce of cocaine versus an ounce of crack, you were disproportionately sentenced, and of course you can imagine cocaine was for mostly white people, crack was for mostly black people. What about the opioid epidemic? Notice we even call it an epidemic. Versus the crack thing we called a war on drugs. Opioids are used mostly by white people, but it's a health, it's a health crisis. See, like, okay, I'm getting, uh, um, my point is this. How are we doing with justice for all? Why are people marching in the streets? Why are people protesting and even rioting? Why are people so upset? Is it possible that it's because this idea that we celebrate on this weekend, this flag that we pledge our allegiance to, which represents this idea, is not something that we need to make great again, but is actually something that's never been true for a lot of people. A lot of people who were here before us and a lot of people here are here because of us. I speak us as white Christians. I love the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> I think it is a brilliant idea that we would pledge our lives to justice for all. The problem is when justice is only for some people and not for a lot of other people. In fact, this is the invitation to God's people in the Bible, that they would be about justice and righteousness. So as a pastor who loves the Bible, I love the idea. I think we should be all for it. I think we should pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of God first and foremost, but then we should be about what the Pledge of Allegiance is about, which is liberty and justice for all. So don't get me wrong. I'm critiquing it because I actually care for it. You know, like people, parents always say, honey, I'm disciplining you, my child, I'm disciplining you because I love you. Well, that's actually true. It doesn't feel true in the moment, but it is. So I want to invite us this morning on this July 4th weekend to consider the question, how's it going? How are we doing with justice for all? Is there any work left to be done? Or do we blindly pledge our allegiance to a flag which represents an idea which may not be true for a lot of people? That seems to lack integrity. And it seems to lack the heart of the Jesus that I think is in the Bible. Has anyone been left out 
of justice for all. As a person who follows Jesus, Mishpat and Sedekah is as much a part of the invitation to you and me as it was to Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah. So let me close this morning with this. In the Bible, when justice is talked about, there's a metaphor that keeps coming up over and over and over again, and it's the metaphor of water. Divine justice, God's justice, is often expressed as a flow. And to do it, and to do what is right, and be, is to be aligned with that flow. When the covenant that God enters into with us is upheld, the rains fall in their season and the land enjoys blessing, Deuteronomy 11. When the people do justice, they are watered like a garden, Isaiah 58, in a verse that Dr. King made famous from the book of Amos. Let justice well up like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, the thing about water is it can be both destructive and constructive. Water can create canyons and sweep away cities, but it can also irrigate fields and turn the desert into a garden. So may it be true of you and me and of the church of Jesus Christ that we would be about turning the desert into a garden, that when justice is executed and is lived out among us and within us, that the rains would fall on the, and water the gardens as it were. But may, may it be that if, if it need be that God's justice, God's anger might flow and might wipe out some things that have been established that are not of God's character. So my invitation to you this morning is to ask the question, how are we doing with justice for all? And what does justice mean? And who has it? And is there room for improvement? And how do you engage in that? What's your part in that? I'm gonna offer a word of prayer and a moment of silence, and then I'm gonna invite you to sing a song that we've sung at Awaken before. It, uh, it's, it's called Run to You, and it's essentially a prayer of confession, saying, I wanna, I wanna repent from that and I wanna run to that. That being all the ways, all the things that stand against the heart of God and that being the heart of God and the, and the person of God. And so my hope is that as we sing that, that that would be true. God, we wanna run to you. So whatever ways in which we have misunderstood justice for all and even stood in the way of justice for all, forgive us. We repent of that, we confess, and we turn to you. So pray with me and then a moment of silence and then we'll sing together. God, this morning on this July 4th weekend, as we think about this flag, which stands for an idea, which our country was evidently founded on, that there would be liberty, freedom, um, where the government doesn't impose itself on us or on an individual, but allows the freedom for that individual to pursue life and liberty and happiness. But then also that there would be justice for all. On this weekend, when we consider that, we do not do so without consideration of or thought of remembrance of those who have fought for that idea. And I'm thankful for them. I even think of my own father and my grandfather and those who, who believed in that and who said it's worth fighting for or worth standing up for. 
And, and so I, I thank you for that. But I also want to give us some space to think critically, to maybe even critique something that we care for because we want it to be, we want it to be its best. And so insofar as the kingdom of God, which we pledge our allegiance to first, is consistent with this idea of justice for all, may it be so, I pray. In whatever ways it's not, bring it to light. Holy Spirit, speak to us.
part of our running to the heart of and the face of and the person of God is to come to the table, to come back to this place where God offers God's self to us wholly and fully. And so on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat of it, remember me. Don't forget all the things that I've taught you about what justice and righteousness looks like and means and feels like. And in the same way, he took a cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, or excuse me, this is my blood, which has been given for you, shed for you. A new covenant written in my name and in my blood. When you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. Um, So as you prepare to come to the table, be reminded that this table is not of the church wasn't created by a pope or some powerful leader, but by Jesus himself. And it's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God. So come, you who have a lot of faith or you who have a little faith, if you've been here often or you haven't been here in a long time or ever before, come. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come not because I invite you, even, even as your pastor, or the church invites you, but because the resurrected Christ invites you to come and be fed and be known. So as you take the bread, hear these words, the body of Christ broken for you. Take and eat, my friend. As you take the cup, hear these words, the blood of Christ shed for you. Take and drink, my friend. As we close, we want to sing one more song together, um, which is, again, a familiar song to awaken, but uh, expresses a desire and a a declaration about who God is and um, what we understand God to be like. Um, So let's sing this together. my eyes up to the hills this my morning song where my strength comes from I lift my eyes up to the hills this my evening song where my help comes from this is the gravity Just as the moon follows the sun, you're all around me. You're holding everything. This is the hope of every land. Just as the universe expands, your love is reaching. You're holding
offer a benediction to you. I want to just say that I'm really proud of our church. And uh, as much as I wish I could see your faces and I wish I could um, hear your voices, I know from the little little murmurs that I hear and the things that I see that you're out there doing it. Um, You're being the church. You're, You're acting in love. You're doing justice and righteousness. And so I want to just say, like, as one of your pastors, I'm really proud of you. I'm proud that you, we took a deep dive into the deep end of the pool over the last six weeks, um, and you're sticking with us. And uh, Jenna's preaching for me next week. We're going to be, where are we going? We're going to be on a houseboat um, for the weekend. And so Jenna is going to be teaching, and and then after next weekend, we're going to kind of come up for air, and we're going to be in Song of Songs, so that'll be interesting. We're going to be... Uh, I think the book of Job. Um, I wanted to do Jonah and Jonah and the whale, but that's a prophet. That's not in our book. So either way, um, we're going to turn towards some of the more traditional lost in translation passages uh, in a couple weeks. But I want to just say like, well done. Um, You're doing great. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for doing the hard work. Um, So as your pastor, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Church said together. Church? Amen. 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 See you next week. Well, you'll see Jenna next week.
www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community. On Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.